This is Max Barry. You're listening to Booked. These guys will actually reenact scenes from the book for your listening pleasure. There's no length that they won't go to. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be reviewing this week is The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. A little bit about Neil Gaiman for anybody who doesn't like pay attention to the world. Uh, this is the bio that we pulled off of Amazon. Now, you know about me and author bios, so we'll talk about this once I get done reading it. Um, I make things up and write them down, which takes us from comics like Sandman to novels like Anansi Boys and American Gods to short stories, some are collected in Smoke and Mirrors, and to occasionally movies like Dave McKean's Mirror Mask, or the Neverwhere TV series, or my own short film, a short film about John Bolton. In my spare time, I read and sleep and eat and try to keep the blog at www.neilgaiman.com more or less up to date. You're upset that you didn't mention that he's Amanda Palmer's husband, right? You know, I was expe- I, I thought it was going to show up there somewhere, but I don't know. I don't like. Uh, I'm not a big fan of when author bios are written from the perspective of the you know what I'm saying from the author. I like a third person bio. Well, there you go. Yeah. Would you like me to read that to you third person? Uh, maybe offline later on. Okay. <laughs> um. So I'm. I guess I'm a Neil Gaiman fan. I love Neverwhere. If I probably had to list like my top maybe 15 books of all time, I'm sure Neverwhere is in there somewhere. Right on. This is my first experience with Gaiman, which I know probably just drives some people nuts. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll talk about that later, what our expectations for this book were. <laughs> so, um, The book. So uh, for Rob being annoyed with the author bio, let me tell you how annoyed I am with uh, with this, the synopsis from Amazon. A brilliantly imaginative and poignant fairy tale from the modern master of wonder and terror. The Ocean at the End of the Lane is Neil Gaiman's first new novel for adults since his number one New York Times bestseller, Anansi Boys. This bewitching and harrowing tale of mystery and survival and memory and magic makes the impossible all too real. Dot, dot, dot. Um, So (laughs) what is this book about? Because the synopsis doesn't tell us really anything. Yeah, it's kind of like that... um... The Fringe one, where it was talking about Fringe, not about the book. Yeah, I guess the difference there is if you're picking it up, you have a good reason to know what Fringe is about. I mean, millions of people tuned in every week to that. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah, this is, um, you know, you know it's a Neil Gaiman book, which is usually enough to get me to, you know, to to be interested in reading it. Um, But yeah, not a lot of, I didn't realize because I didn't read the the synopsis beforehand, as I often don't. But uh, I guess it's going to be up to us to let all of the people in the world know what this is about. <laughs> nope, that's it. That's going to be... That was actually word for word. That's my wrap-up. So it's kind of weird that... Yeah, yeah. Coincident. Coincidental. Yeah, this, book is, uh, this book is bewitching and, uh, and harrowing in places. <laughs> it's about memory and magic. Yeah. Well, let's give it some Absolutely. stars. Cool. So what we have is a nameless protagonist. Might I mention, second week in a row, we have a nameless protagonist. This is starting to be a trend with us. Hmm. Um, Rake, Rake, the protagonist had no name. Oh, that's well, right. He, for he had character. a name. Yeah. yeah, he had a name. We just didn't ever find out what it was. So, <laughs> so protagonist who's in it. his fifties. Uh, 
I'd say right. He's an older gentleman. Travels back to his uh, old neighborhood, um, uh, you know, and, and wants to kind of see what's changed or whatever, and ends up at this house um, at the end of the lane where he lived, where he starts to have memories of things that happened there when he was a child. Yeah, and specifically memories of things that he didn't... Um, like, it's obvious that when the story begins to unfold his memories are far different than what his kind of feeling was about things when he first arrived at this house at the end of the lane. So the rest of the story then takes place um, basically in his youth. He's a, he's a young lad of seven years old. Um, this terrible thing has happened, and uh, he winds up meeting this family that, that lives at the end of the lane, the Hempstock family. Yeah, and it starts out so it starts out kind of sad because he just talks about how no one went to his seventh birthday party, and that's how he established his age and everything. But then, um, yeah, kind of a, a freaky thing happens, and um, his whole family kind of gathers down by this uh, this house, the Hempstock's house. But it's something that the the parents want to keep him from seeing, so they have the 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 people who live there um, are nice enough to offer to bring him inside, so he's away from you know whatever's going on. And um, that's where the story kind of goes in a totally fairy tale kind of direction where uh, he's introduced to um, one of the primary characters in the book, Letty Hempstock, who is four years older than him, I believe. She was 11, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, they go, uh, at one point they go out to her backyard where she is talking, there's a pond in the backyard and she calls it her ocean. And... um, that's really the start of the introduction of all the fantastical elements of the book. Yeah, Letty lives with her mother and her grandmother, and yeah, it it, it becomes very, very apparent to the reader very quickly that these women are not uh, uh, normal women. That there's a, a very supernatural feel to uh, to what they do. Right, almost like they're witches or something, but they're definitely not witches. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure they actually say that at one point. Like we are not yeah. witches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have kind of one of those, like, almost kind of, not bitter, but, you know, the reaction that they've been called that before, mm-hmm. and they're just so tired of people mislabeling them, the type of reaction mm-hmm. to the idea of um, being witches, which is kind of amusing. Right. So, you know, the the story, he, he likes the Hempstocks, that's all, all good and well, but what has happened is this, this, um, this accident that brings him to the Hempstocks. Um, has kind of a darker spin to it, and it's unleashed, for lack of a better term, like kind of like an evil spirit. Would that be fair I, to a fair way to describe it. That's a, a fair kind of yeah, without spoiling mm-hmm. things way of of yeah labeling. Right. So Letty and our unnamed protagonist um, kind of set out. Letty kind of brings him along so that she can fix this this issue for for the people of of the town. And uh, of course, as what happens in all good fiction and fairy tales, they just kind of end up making it worse. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know how much more we can talk. Like, there, yeah, the whole book is essentially stuff we can't reveal because of the way that it's built. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah, very, very heavy fairy tale feel to this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially yeah. since like very early on in the book the laws of like physics and reality are, are are brought into question you know and they're 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 kind of thrown out the window and so um while everything takes place in what we'd consider you know just like the real world there's just really weird fantastical elements to it um 
creatures that don't, you know, exist in reality. You know, people are capable of doing things they wouldn't usually be capable of doing, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, and, and this hopefully isn't too spoilery, but we should really talk about one other character, and that's Ursula Monct- Moncton. Moncton? Moncton. Moncton. Ursula Moncton. Um, shortly after, you know, bad goes to worse in this situation, um, she appears and it becomes the new nanny for the protagonist and his, uh, his little sister. Um, you know, I, I'm probably, you know, I'm sure you could read right through that, that she is, you know, what has escaped in essence from, from their, from their battle with evil. Um, but she's, she's a very important character and she's an interesting character in, in such that she's basically kind of just there to ruin this kid's life. Like, yeah, very specifically, like, um, she's definitely powerful and, and frightening, but uh, incredibly manipulative. And so she appears just like any other person. But, um, yeah, she's definitely got some motives. And she's done that that typical story thing where she's got everybody's trust except for the person who knows her for what she really is. And she's just torturing, just, you know, not, like, literally torturing, but, like emotionally uh, freaking this kid out and threatening him and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think that's about all we could do about story. Um, the protagonist. The protagonist is kind of an interesting character because he's a kind of uh, an introverted kid who um, he spends a lot of time alone, likes reading, kind of likes his privacy, um, doesn't have any friends, as you mentioned. You know, no one shows up for his seventh birthday party. Um, and, and he really kind of opens up, and, and a little bit of this is, uh, is about his relationship with Letty Hemstock. Yeah, and the interesting thing about him being an introvert or and, and not popular is that typically when you have a character that's depicted that way, they're upset about it. But with, um, with our protagonist, it seems like he's like, if he's not cool with not being popular, he's at least, he understands, like he knows and he accepts it. He's not like freaking out about it and he doesn't really worry about anything. He's, you know, just perfectly content to... Like Olivia said, spend his time reading, be alone. Um, he's got a little shed out back that he's got his chemistry set in and stuff like that. So uh, even though he's definitely like kind of an outcast, he didn't seem like he's too worried about it. Dude, can we talk about the uh, the books that he was reading? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if these are real books. I, I have to imagine that if we dug deep enough, we'd probably find that they are. But he's reading basically books his mom read when she was, you know, when she was younger. So it's a lot of like weird, like school kids fight communists like, yeah just, just like really bizarre because <laughs> in, in game like young a adventure point. yeah yeah gaiman makes a point of mentioning the the you know the plot of two or three of these books like you know in, in some detail so i thought it was kind of interesting uh maybe backtrack and find out where those come from yeah and because we're basically seeing a flashback to you know 40 50 years ago we're seeing a kid that's seven years old reading books that he inherited from someone else so like these are books that are you know of from an era, you know, the you know, probably World War Two ish era, so the type of books that you'd expect to see around then. Very heavily uh patriotic it seems, like fighting fighting Nazis or the communists or whatever it happens to be, those types of those types of books mm-hmm. and you know, good triumphs over evil is you know, the common theme. So like the intrepid you know you know, high school kids are, you know, uh, unveiling these crazy plots and stuff. Yeah, those yeah it's like it's like Scooby Doo from the forties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I'd have gotten away for it with it if it wasn't for you damn kids. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to talk. And let's face it, this book's would roughly two hundred pages. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's a quick read. But um, there's a lot of good in this book. Um, Gaiman manages to, to give this fairy tale story that I, as you know, as a, an adult, you know, found really you know endearing. I mean, I thought a lot of it was was really cute in a fairy tale kind of way, and really enjoyed it. And it's not typically my kind of thing to read fairy tales. And this wasn't this isn't even like fairy tale for adults because I've read that kind of stuff. This is definitely, with the exception of a couple of references made to kind of like sexual activity. There's really nothing in this that keeps it from being a children's story. It's probably a little verbose for that, I guess. But yeah. you know what I mean. It's not. It's, it's not treated in such a way that this is a you know, fairy tale for adults. This is pretty much fairy tale for kids. Yeah, written in a way where it's not targeted at a specific age. Um, it's kind of for whoever wants to read it. Um, but yeah, I could see how uh, pretty much anybody. You know, I, I'd say. If I was, uh, when I was reading, when I was young and I was reading like young adult novels, I'd say this would fit in with like the types of stories I was reading then, for sure. Well, it wouldn't be his first. I mean, he did write Cor- Coraline, Coraline. Yeah. Um, which I read, which was uh, probably even more fairy tale than this, but a lot darker. Um, a lot more frightening throughout than this was. So, I don't know. The one thing that, that struck me about this, and perhaps it's the Hemstock family that did that, it reminded me a lot of um, Madeline Langle's uh, A Wrinkle in Time. Never read which, it. Oh, it's really good stuff when you're like 10. Um, I actually read, reread A Wrinkle in Time just a few years ago, and it's uh, still very good, but in that, like, I remember reading this being a kid kind of way good. Right. But, um, yeah, it did remind me of that because it had, like, this kind of weird family of, like, not witches, sort of, that have powers, but you don't really know why or a whole lot about them. Kind of a very mysterious group of, you know, witchy-like people that aren't witches. Right. So, it did remind me a little bit. Uh, a Wrinkle in Time, just for your own personal benefit, um, doesn't take place, like, even on our plane of existence. So, this very much takes place in, you know, I'm assuming in England somewhere, you know, but on, you know, terra firma. Yeah, Wrinkle in Time is kind of a, a an alternate universe that the, the bulk of the story takes place. But it did remind me a little bit of that. Yeah, right on. Um, funny, funny thing you mentioned things that it reminds you of. Um, you know what I kind of got a feel for from reading this? What's that? And maybe it's just because I've been kind of rereading through some of the stories from the booked anthology recently. But I got a kind of a Josh Deach feel from this. Which I'm sure he's going to be very th- flattered. Uh, I can, I, hope, I, can anyway. I can see that, and a great plug for a great anthology too. By the way, yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll find some time to uh, talk about that a little bit more. But yeah, yeah essentially the um, the fairy tale element, but tuned more towards an a not child audience, um, which also I mean, and just the types of characters and creatures that are that are introduced, the kid, like the the protagonist, in the way that he's kind of not detached but not as emotionally affected by things and the creatures that are introduced a lot of it had just a very josh deach kind of feel to it so as i was digging that element of it for sure yeah like i said there's there's tons of tons of good stuff here and um i could very easily see this being made into a a movie or like a like a bbc miniseries um yeah so again short book you know um i don't know if there's much more we can talk about but uh did you have any uh, quotes to go over? I only have just one for myself. I uh, yeah, I have a few. Um, cool. This first one's really really short. Uh, you know, we were talking about his uh, his kind of 
acceptance of, of kind of being a loner and, and not, you know, dealing with other people and stuff. And I think this quote um, exemplifies that. I lay on the bed and lost myself in the stories. I like that. Books were safer than other people anyway. That gives you a little insight yeah. into into our uh, protagonist and how he feels. And this one's really, really kind of long, but um, I, I think it's worth reading because it's one of the funniest things I've, I've read. It's <laughs> probably the funniest thing in this book, but um, I, he talks about, so in order to cut out like two paragraphs, he talks about being at a, at a Madame... Tussauds, Tussaud, Tussauds, Waxworks, is that right? Mm, Madame Tussauds. Yeah. yeah, when he was six, a long time ago, because he's seven. And uh, he was <laughs> expecting, you know, uh, he, he here, I'll go from here. I wanted to thrill to the waxworks of Dracula and Frankenstein's monster and the Wolfman. Instead, I was walked through a seemingly endless sequence of dioramas of unremarkable, glum-looking men and women who had murdered people, usually lodgers and members of their own families, and who were then murdered in their turn, by hanging by the electric chair in gas chambers. Most of them were depicted with their victims in awkward social situations, seated around a dinner table, perhaps as their poisoned family members expired. The plaques that explained who they were also told me that the majority of them had murdered their families and sold the bodies to anatomy. It was then that the word anatomy garnered its own edge of horror for me. I did not know what anatomy was. I knew only that anatomy made people kill their children. (laughs) And it comes up a couple of times in the uh, in the story that he mentions anatomy and like his just horror of it. That's good. That was worth the it was worth the reading. It was a good payoff. Mm-hmm. I just have one quote, um, and it's about pea pods. I just thought this was a charming quote. Uh, we picked some pea pods, opened them, and ate the peas inside. Peas baffled me. I could not understand why grown ups would take things that tasted so good raw and put them in tins and make them revolting thought that it was interesting i've never eaten like raw peas oh dude yeah good stuff huh yeah oh yeah yeah right out of the pod buddy (laughs) um here's a an example of uh and again this one's just really short but the the kind of things that are alluded to um or around the hempstock um household you can't just boss bacteria around like that said the younger mrs hempstock they don't like it nice Again, there's like these allusions throughout the the book of to things that they can do, and they don't necessarily really get into it. Sometimes they do, but um, they obviously have powers that we can't begin to understand. That's what I liked about those characters. I don't know if you're going into more quotes, but um, the way that they um, approached the fact that they were doing things that like the average person wouldn't be able to do is just so nonchalant. It was just yeah. like, oh, you know, anybody could do this, or you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that you do. It's not something that, you know, you're praying to some great power for or whatever. It's just like, "Mm, that's the way life works. Um, This next quote, I I think in some ways kind of sums up maybe what Neil Gaiman was going for um, in this book. And uh, he's, he's reading some ancient history or, you know, about Ra and, you know, the father of the gods and, and the goddess of love and all that. And he kind of sums it up by saying, I liked myths. They weren't adult stories, and they weren't children's stories. They were better than that. They just were. Adult stories never made sense, and they were so slow to start. They made me feel like there there were secrets, Masonic, mythic secrets to adulthood. Why didn't adults want to read about Narnia, about secret islands and smugglers and dangerous fairies? So when I read that, I kind of thought it was almost a description of the book that I was reading. That that was maybe Gaiman's take on 
And a lot of his stuff falls into that kind of myth category. So, um, Let's see, other than that, I think I only have one more that I'm going to go. I mean, I have probably about 15. I, I liked a lot of what I read here. All right, I'm going to do two more. Um, this one's really short. Adults should not weep, I knew. They did not have mothers who would comfort them. Aw. I kind of like that. And then there's uh, just one more. So this one is um, is him as an adult reflecting back on the story he just told us. I did not miss childhood, but I missed the way I took pleasure in small things, even as greater things crumbled. I could not control the world I was in, could not walk away from things or people or moments that hurt, but I took joy in the things that made me happy. The custard was sweet and creamy in my mouth, the dark swollen courants and the spotted dick, which apparently is some type of pastry. <laughs> were tangy and the cake-thick, chewy blandness of the pudding, and perhaps I was going to die that night, and perhaps I would never go home again, but it was a good dinner, and I had faith in Letty Hemstock. That's nice. it. That's all I've got. Spotted dick. I'm looking that up right now. Dude, that's God. <laughs> the type of advertising you're going to get off of that. <laughs> Spot. I know, right? Spotted dick is a steamed suet pudding popular in Britain containing dried fruit commonly served with custard. Spotted refers to the dried, dried fruit and dick may be a concentration... Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe a contraction or corruption of the word pudding from the last syllable or possibly a corruption of the word dough or dog as spotted dog is another name for the same dish and blah blah blah. Whatever. Another oh, another explanation offers the word dick is that it is the German word for thick. Hmm. So it's like it's fruit and custard. Gotcha. I actually had to fact check your pronunciation of suet because I was pretty sure it was just sweat. Like S U E T. Suet's like animal fat. Well, look at you, Mr. Knowledgeable. Let's see if I'm right about that. Is raw beef or mutton fat, especially the hard fat found around the loins and kidneys? Boom. How you like me now? Love you. Now go ahead and do your wrap up. <laughs> Before we do our wrap-ups, can, yeah. can I read can I read a uh, a couple of one-star reviews for this? Oh, before the wrap-up. Let's do it before the uh, my, either way, should we do it afterwards? Hmm. No, let's try it before. We've never done that before. We can just we don't we make up the rules as we go. Yeah, we do. We do, we do. So, um well, this is kind of weird because they said there was only one, but apparently there there are quite a few. So, uh, well, we'll be able to compare these in our own wrap-up. The Ocean at the End of the Pain in the Ass is what this one's titled. It's by Mika Martin. Uh, that's, that's a real name. It's his real name right under it. Flat characters, a forgettable mythology, and frenetic pacing join forces to make the short and joyless book a totally throwaway experience. It's almost impossible to believe that it came from the same author who penned American Gods, although the impenetrable plotting in Anansi Boy certainly presages Gaiman's rushed and lazy technique in Ocean at the End of the Lane. The book is overpriced, underwritten, and an insult to the author's readers. I will say that, yeah, $13, 200-page ebooks is probably a little steep. I don't care who you are as an author. I can agree with uh, that part of it. Yeah. But I can't. Uh, that, that's not going to affect my star rating. London Girl says... Before reading this, I would have professed to being a very big Neil Gaiman fan. I love Neverwhere, Anansi Boys, and the Graveyard Book. However, as far as this book goes, I have to agree with another reviewer who suggested the five-star reviews are written by Neil Gaiman's PR folks. The best thing I can say about this book is that it's 
Supperific. Sure. Yeah. I'm giving up trying to finish it because I can't stay awake long enough. Truly a huge disappointment to me. Mr. Gaiman, please wise up and don't waste your talent and your fans' time with self-indulgent tripe like this. Um, I had to look up the word supperific. Um, it is an adjective meaning tending to induce drowsiness or sleep. Mm. Kind of like the word itself. Yeah. Um, this woman could not stay awake through a 200-page book. She, well, she might be narcoleptic then. That <laughs> could be. That could be it. We she should, might uh, just be an undiagnosed. She's going around hating authors when it turns out she's got narcolepsy. That would be uh, tragic. I mean, this is a very short book. Even even if I didn't enjoy reading it, I think I could have trudged through it. Yeah, yeah, it was short. It was a quick read. I knocked it out in my usual one sitting. What the hell is this? Oh, okay. I'm going to read one more. Wow, this one's really fierce. Um, this is by SLR. That's probably not a real name. Real name. <laughs> um, I mentioned that there were probably two um, times when they alluded to sex, right? Does that sound mm-hmm. right? Okay. How this perverse individual received any awards, accolades, or more than zero stars is behind my beyond my comprehension. Now, mind you, this is a one-star review because you can't do zero stars. Mm-hmm. But this person still, it's beyond their comprehension how there could be anything more than zero stars. Um, SLR, one is the minimum on Amazon. Um, I won't worry about ruining the story because no one should read anything this sick person has written. Children who watch their father servicing the maid from the rear, watching the maid in bed nude, and the... So- oh, all right, sorry. Um, I removed, We just removed a part. It's going to be cut off kind of <laughs> weird for spoilers. Um, and spoilers and... Uh, a house full of witch-like women who don't need men to procreate. No, no one needs to read this sicko's thoughts. It's like wandering around in the head of a psych or serial killer. <laughs> Waste of money and time. Yeah, it's just a psych. <laughs> um, Waste of money and time. TV show? I'm sorry. Never again with this horrible wannabe writer. Can't even donate this book to the library for fear a child will get it out of curiosity due to the title. Dumpster bound because it's garbage. Wow, dude. Did you really feel that anything? I mean, listen, children, first of all, a seven year old probably isn't going to be reading this. It, it's probably just that, you know, it's it's written by an adult. It's not written as a children's mm-hmm. book. So, I mean, it's something maybe you could read to your child. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't <laughs> understand. Even, I mean, that scene that the servicing the like, all right, so mm-hmm. what happens? And this isn't really a spoiler at all because it's kind of, I mean, it's not a, an enormous like plot point mm-hmm. in the book. But the father um, and the the maid or nanny or whatever you want to call her, yeah, are are getting getting it on. Um, but it's it's viewed from the perspective of a seven year old boy who doesn't understand what sex is. So, I mean, like it's a all right. So it's an adult remembering what they saw as a child. Um, but it's explained in that childish kind of naive, naive manner. So it's like the father is behind the, the, the woman and he's touching her and her 
skirt is lifted up, and that's mm-hmm. as graphic as it gets. Yeah, I think he says he's hugging her from behind, yeah. and she doesn't and understand why. And her yeah, and and that her skirt is up around her waist. Yeah, that's it. And, and he acknowledges, you know, as, you know, is telling the story from an adult point of view. He says, you know, at the time, I didn't even have any idea what that was, and that's it. And yes, the woman is naked at one part, but it's certainly not in a sexual way. The kid is more terrified by her nudity because he's seven. Right. Yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah, just weird. Yeah. So this person is is God. He calls him sick and a, and a psych and serial he's, killer. Yeah, Neil Gaiman's definitely not a psych. I will tell you that. Much. I'm pretty sure that he's not a psych. So there's there's what some <laughs> Amazon customers had to say. Um, I, I thought maybe that'll help us do our wrap up. So would you would you like to go ahead and go first? Well, hopefully it'll be a good contrast um, to our wrap ups. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, not a lot to say about this one. I dug this story. And what we didn't go through too much in our, you know, explanation of the basics of the story is is how sad it can be in parts. Um, and I won't say what parts, but like, um, it's not even the kid being alone or anything. It's just like some of the stuff in the book just made me feel very, very sad. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of my overall feel about it, but like, very well written. Love the characters. Love the overall story. I love the the fantastic element to it was great because it introduced um, a lot of different like possibilities and and it did what a fairy tale is supposed to do, which is like give you a sense of wonder um, in the face of you know scary or you know terrible things. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I thought the book was really good. And, um, but just that sadness just kind of hanging on me. And it's not like it's just like a depressing book or anything. There was just like, there was a sadness to it that, that stuck with me probably more than, you know, other parts of the book. But anyway, um, overall, I liked it a lot and I'm going to go with four stars for it. Glad that you mentioned that because it was in the back of my mind to, to mention during the actual review, how much, um, you know, we talked about the Hempstocks kind of hinting at things they can do and kind of where they come from. And, and in a way, it was just such a great tease of, of maybe greater stories that exist behind that. Not that I necessarily think we'll, we'll, we'll see a sequel to this. I'm not really looking mm-hmm. necessarily wanting a sequel. I, I would definitely read one if it came about. But um, you know, we talked about it way back when, when we were talking about the Raw Shark text. One of the excellent things about that was the stories that were just hinted at. Yeah. And I think that this had that same kind of thing going for it with with the Hempstock women, um, which which again, like you said, just added to 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 what a what a good book this is. So you've got a uh, a fairy tale that introduces a, a lot of supernatural elements, um, easily enjoyable by an adult and probably by a child, um, at least you know not not the child of SLR that you know thought this guy was a sicko certainly there's nothing disgusting in this book there, there's a couple scenes that i was a little um that, that were a little disgusting from the kind of stomach turning standpoint i think mm-hmm. but but even those i think any kid of 10 years old or whatever you know hell they might not even find it as disgusting as i did so um but yeah overall i mean it just it was a really really easy to read book because it was engaging and it kept constantly moving um the protagonist uh, like rob said very very sad and, and there were a lot of things about him that were sad but um, you wanted to know more about him, and you could stay with him throughout the course of the book. I didn't think at any point uh, things he talked about were were boring. Um, he was an engaging protagonist, um, even if he was kind of a 
kind of lonely um, throughout the course. Yes, some very, very sad things happen throughout the course of this book. I am also going to not disclose those. So I know I just sound basically like an echo of what Rob said at, at this uh, at this point. But, um, you know, he, he hit the nail on the head on, on, on all points. I think that he's right. Four stars. Boom. All right, now that we got it over with, what do you think about the ocean? Now, we're going to talk about what the ocean is, but, like, the what the ocean, like, in the book. What do you think about it? Um... Oh, I don't. Oh, this this is kind of tough. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to say or not supposed to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think I think like a lot of things that 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 they did. Um, it, it was to us. It appeared like a pond, and it was just a lot more than it appeared. Yep. To 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 the naked eye. Um, there there's a scene early on. You know, we talked about this a little bit where where they kind of go to set this thing straight with with this incident that happened. And, and, you know, they're kind of on the Hempstock farm, which is, you know, whatever, a few acres. I don't know how big it is, but they basically kind of step almost into another realm. And I think the pond is kind of the same thing that when when activated in quotes, air quotes, activated properly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it becomes something else, somewhat of an ocean. Yeah. It's cool because he took something so mundane as like a pond in someone's backyard and like. Um, it's that child, childish wonder kind of thing. Like in the imagination of a child, a pond isn't just necessarily a pond. It can be, you know, it, there's limitless, limitless possibilities. So, um, yeah, I just like what it represented and how it like, you know, gave perspective to life in general and, and, um, you know, the idea of like the possibilities of, of what you can do and stuff. I thought it was really cool. I agree. Hey, they're giving away five hmm. copies on Goodreads. Five copies. Oh, never mind. By the time you guys are hearing this, it'll be over. It's it, it's up. It's up July second. So we're recording. Hey, they gave away the five day. copies. Yeah, they gave away five copies. I wonder if I got one. Um, yeah, entries close in three hours. So yeah, never mm, mind on that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I I've read you know a few gaming books. I did not read um. Anansi Boys. Um, I may at some point when I'm not bogged down with reading for the podcast. But, I mean, I absolutely love Neverwhere. Smoke and Mirrors was great. But that's kind of his thing. He writes these kind of fairy tale kind of books. American Gods was just, you know, a mythos of every god that you could name. You know, if they're American Indian gods or, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know just these, you know, living today as people, you know, trying to kind of reclaim their power. So, I mean, it's it's what he writes. He typically writes more adult fairy tales. This one was just a little more on the, on the, the, the kid side, I think. Right on. Good stuff. So you'll read more Neil Gaiman, is that? Yeah, yeah. I, well, again, and the curse of of doing a podcast every week is that we probably don't have much uh, luxury to go back in time and and look at older books, or do yeah. we? Um, but yeah, new stuff that comes out, I'm actually, I'm absolutely going to be, I'm going to be very, very open to reading more, more Neil Gaiman. The guy's such a psych. <laughs> He's kind of a psych. But beside that, you know, yeah, it's so, good stuff. So, since we don't have Skip Papersley um, this week sharing with us the top five in hardcover fiction, I would like to say The Ocean at the End of the Lane, now number one bestseller on uh, on the New York Times bestseller list. That's big. You know what that means. It bumped Inferno. It bumped the other number one New York Times bestseller that we've we've reviewed recently. It's true. It's odd. I didn't realize that uh, Anansi Boys, until I read the uh, the author bio, that that was a New York Times bestseller list. I'm telling you, this dude, Neil Gaiman, he's got some traction. 
Yeah, I just never realized. I mean, I, he was. I, I knew he was big in like the sci-fi kind of fantasy community. I didn't think it was a number one bestseller though. I, I just didn't think he got that kind of traction. So I, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised because I think he's a great writer. Um, also, a little bit of news that I found um, earlier today in my Twitter feed is that he's going to be doing another um, limited run of uh, Sandman comics. I believe it's this fall. I'm just pulling this off the top of my head because I don't didn't make a note of it but so if any gaming fans are out there and they're looking forward to a little more of death um i think that uh, i think you're going to get that in uh in the fall yeah i saw an article about it where they were showing uh cover like uh the cover image for one of the because it's a series it's like a series of it's not just one right it's gonna be a few of them. yeah it's a it's a short series I think it's like a six maybe I, i'm doing this from memory so if i'm wrong forgive me yeah, and they they showed cover art for I think one of them. I didn't see the whole thing, but I was flipping through and I saw that, and I was like, "Hey, I just read this dude." Then immediately I was like, "We're best friends. He's definitely not a psych." Yeah, um, I tried <laughs> reading some of the Sandman when they were all collected in like the um, uh, graphic novels, and mm-hmm. I, I really dug the art, but the stories just most of them kind of got away from me. No, yeah, I never gave it my yeah my comic book phase comic book graphic novel that whole realm um was when i was really young and was into like you know the the real basic like thor and wolverine and stuff like that yeah maybe we'll review a comic book at some point will we i mean i'm not saying no maybe maybe the right thing will come come along and we can jump into it comic booked (laughs) see now we have to we should do a whole nother podcast. Comic book. Think about it, dude. Those things are like 20 pages and a lot of it's pictures. It's, they look good on iPod, iPads. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Hey, but you know, you mentioned Inferno and something else came up. So I, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Is it spoiling a TV show if it's a TV show that has been on for six months? Um, months? You just give your basic spoiler warning and then anybody that continues to listen, it's their own fault. All right, so um, if you're planning on watching something called Utopia that was uh, out on British television um, in January of this year um, and you don't want it spoiled for you, stop listening. Um, if you don't care, the reason I mentioned this, we just talked about Inferno, and do you remember how impressed I was with, uh, oh, you know what, I can't because then I spoil Inferno. Never mind, we have to undo this whole thing. Oh, damn. Because so we didn't should talk make... about the big, yeah. You should make vague allusions to how there's a TV show that exists that's doing the same thing that we didn't talk about in our Inferno. There you go. What Rob <laughs> just said. There's a TV show that has a huge plot point that I thought was very original when I read Inferno, <laughs> but then I saw it on something that happened before Inferno. So it's like when you go. get a new car and like that's the only type of car you see because like yes. it's the car you have. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly like that. So just know that Dan Brown wasn't the first to do it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying what he did, just that he wasn't the first. If Boy, you read Inferno, is... you should see if you can guess what TV show Livius is talking about based on the big thing in the in the book Inferno. Oh, are you going to edit out? Because I actually said what the TV show was. Oh. Oh, well, then, you know what? Mind. You know what? People will have stopped fucking paying attention by now. So. <laughs> God damn it, I give up. Oh, no. All right, I'm gonna leave Let's it all in, and then we can just yeah. Is there, is there something else we could talk about for God's sake? <laughs> um, all right, I actually have a couple things I'd like to talk about really quickly. Um, do you remember? Do you know who Max Berry is? 
Um, yeah, the name sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, so we we read his book, Machine Man, and then interviewed him. Uh, oh my god, it's almost two years ago now, right? Guy time flies. So, yeah. yeah, it was in 2011. It was like August or September of 2011. We're coming up on two years since we talked to Max Berry. So Max, if you're out there listening, we never talk anymore. It's, you got a new book out. But anyway, um, on Facebook, Jason Donnelly... Uh, recently who's got a book coming out through perfect edge in september which i'm sure we will be talking about more in the future um just randomly posted a picture from instagram and he said if anybody can name the book that's in this picture uh it was very blurry far off in the background you could see a book laying on a table uh he said he'd send one of his favorite books and uh within like a minute of him posting the thing on facebook i replied that it was machine man by max max berry and I even called out what type of microphone he had, which was the Blue Yeti, which is the one I used to use before I got the Nessie, which is awesome. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, he's sending me uh, a copy of the Locklear Letters, which I know that we've talked about before on the podcast. So That's very, very cool. I think So, so let me see if I get straight. You just plugged Jason Donnelly. Yep. Perfect Edge. Yep. The guy who wrote the Locklear Letters. Yep. The company Blue, BLU. And yep. two of their most popular microphones. Nice yes. job. And Machine Man. And Max Berry. Max Berry's new book, which I didn't name, but it's Lexicon. Right? Lexicon? Yep. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of how much ad revenue that just generated us. <laughs> um, I think I think it's zero. I was going to say, put the calculator away, zero dollars. Uh, we are really bad at this product placement thing, man. I got to tell you. Yeah, I know. We just don't know. Yeah. All right, so hopefully in the near future we'll see if Rob is good at product placing um, something, uh, no offense to anybody we just mentioned, but something a little nearer and dearer to our hearts. You, you want to take a stab at, at plugging that, Rob? Oh, oh, what's nearer and dearer to our hearts? What's the nearest, dearest thing to our hearts? Well, it's physically laying on top of my heart right now, uh, and it's the booked anthology. You have an actual physical copy of the booked anthology? <laughs> um you hear that? I, I did. I thought you fell over or something. That's pages flipping in a book. I fell over. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm holding in my hands proof copy of the booked anthology. Physically printed copy of the book. Oh, that is so fantastic. Like I, like I don't have one to myself. So here's what I found myself doing. <laughs> I go to work and I just leave it out on my desk. So people will be like, oh, hey, what's that? And I'm like, eh, it's the book my podcast is publishing. And they go, really? That's so cool. And I'm like, look, look on the back. Look on the back. Look at that. There's a picture of me right there. We just teased the back cover. Yep. That full page shot of me with my headphones on. <laughs> and nothing else. And nothing else. If that won't sell books, I don't know what will. Exactly. So yes, proof copies of the booked anthology. So when we tell you soon, that, that word is becoming shorter and shorter. Yeah. It's like, so. pretty soon we'll be like, it's here. Like, very soon. It's crazy. I mean, like, I actually have one in my hands. And because of all the time and effort that uh, we put into editing and layout and typeset and going over and over and over, how many errors did we actually find that we needed to correct in the proof? Um, We found one that we needed to correct and a second one that we'd like to correct. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, if you think about it, an entire almost 400-page book, I'm going to say that's not bad. 
390 pages. More information seeping out. It's 390 pages, kids. That's a lot. That's a lot of pages. That's double, double the number one New York Times bestseller book is. And and let's not forget that Rob has read the book anthology, and at least one of the writers in there reminds him of the number one New York Times bestselling book right now. Yeah, if that doesn't sell us like a couple million copies, um, yeah. something's wrong with this world. Dude, I'm I'm all like Snapple. I, I'm okay with being number three. We don't have to be number one on the New York Times bestseller <laughs> list. Number three, I'm right. okay with. Gaiman right. and Brown can keep the number one in two spots. Nice. Being generous. Hey, well, so just anyway. like Snapple, you are listed number three on the publisher's page. That's, yeah, go figure. So, <laughs> um, But listen... That's so goddamn cool. That means we're probably right on track for a um, late July release. Uh, there's so much. I mean, like, guys, by the time our next episode releases, we're done. Like, we're actually 100% done with the print copy, the print edition of the book. Mm-hmm. That's and, awesome. And I know you've mentioned how easy it is to make an ebook. Most likely, we'll be done with the ebook too. If not, I mean, it'll be a matter of days. Mm-hmm. But uh, that being said, we are taking this week off from reading as we're going to continue to just read the book anthology for the rest of this week. That's right. So our next episode is going to be a very exciting, very, very celebratory um, interlude episode, which we haven't done one in forever because we've been reading so many books and doing interviews. Um, interlude episode is going to be focused a lot on us telling you a ton of information about the book, about things that we have planned around the book, um, and stuff like that. It's very, very exciting. I just realized we have to talk about all that stuff on our next episode, so we're going to skip the next matter of business, I think. Yeah, 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 we're going to save some stuff. Yep. So, but that's, uh, it's it's still a while before people can order or pre-order or whatever, uh, the booked anthology um what else can they get now i mean a while we're talking weeks right but there's got to be something they could put their money down on right now that has some value yeah absolutely i did it myself just uh the other day we mentioned briefly or actually kind of extensively or somewhere in the middle we mentioned on a previous episode uh thunderdome magazine right now is doing an indiegogo uh project to as a as a pre-order process to fund they're 2013 anthologies, and uh, I dropped uh, some money over there at the fundraiser to uh, get myself, um, to secure myself copies of uh, print copies, because I really like having print copies of stuff of the, uh, the, the two upcoming anthologies for this year. That's very cool, and that is um, Cypher Sisters, um, which we talked about first. Oh. It's got to be got to be a year ago, right? On the episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and a book about mixed martial arts. Yep, an entire uh, anthology focused on mixed martial arts. It's gonna be a lot of like shin kicking and bleeding in that one, I think. A lot of bleeding, yeah, definitely more bleeding. Well, more kicking than I really care for, to be honest. But uh, I have faith in the people at Thunderdome to make it make it a pretty awesome anthology. Oh, I'm I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Um I don't know, MMA dude, that's something I can ever get into. Now, pro wrestling. Oh, can no. I can can I just <laughs> tell you that the other night what I watched? You ready for this? I watched Wife Swap simply because Ric Flair and Roddy Piper were on it. Oh. Wow. 
Hey, if no. I sound distracted, it's because I'm looking at a very attractive book. Oh no, I was trying to I was trying to see if I can interest you in us doing a pro wrestling anthology. Oh no. <laughs> wait, wait. Would it be stories that were written by pro wrestlers? Because I would be totally down for that. <laughs> so, so if we get like George the Animal Steel to pen something for us, you're in. Yeah, if you get like Mick Foley, isn't that a wrestling guy? He is a wrestling guy, actually. Yeah, get him. Get that Brutus the Barber Beefcake guy. Write a story. Write us a little story. He might be dead. Oh. Someone. Maybe we can that. talk to his estate and see if he ever wrote any stories. Yeah, I was. I was <laughs> thinking more of like you know, you know, <laughs> stories about wrestlers. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. But if you know, if I could get uh, Iceman King Parsons to to write a story, then this is going to be a go. It'll be the next uh, the next booked project. Think of nobody's thought to do that before. Nobody's thought. Let's ask a bunch of pro wrestlers to write stories for us. I think we're we're sitting on just like a pot, like a potential gigantic pile of money. A gold mine, a gold mine. Pro wrestlers writing stories. There might be something to this. <laughs> I know, right? I'm not I'm not messing God, around. Yeah, I know. No, no, no. You got me thinking about. It. I was joking at first, but I was just trying to say I found pro wrestling more interesting than MMA. But I don't there know. you go. Yeah, I think we're um, on to something. If, um, while we've been talking, if you go to the Indiegogo page for Book Podcast, you will see that there is a uh, Indiegogo project uh, going for our pro. Uh, there's not, but there might be soon. There's <laughs> soon, soon, like a longer soon, soon with a couple extra O's because we have an earlier that's right. soon that's coming up. Yep. So, um, yeah. Anything else you want to mention before we wrap this bad boy up? Just, um, just again, uh, go pre-order your your copies of. Uh, Thunderdome uh, Presses Anthologies for 2013 Make sure you get them supported And taken care of And then start um, Get that little like hammer out So you can crack open your piggy bank Because uh, the book's anthology is going to be available so soon You're going to be like, damn I want to be ready for that Fairly certain there will be more details on our next uh, You know, our inter- we haven't done an interlude in months You know that we've reviewed like Eight books in a row, nine books in a row I think Yes it's crazy. Yeah, so this could be our first interlude in quite some time. Maybe, maybe we can record it on Thursday night. You know what that is? July 4th. That's a holiday. A holiday. So we'll see. But uh, until then, I'm Livia Stedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Keep reading.